I was out two weeks ago, I had a £9 Springer on East Mayo. A couple of days ago, I had a £12 Springer on the Moy Fishery. And this morning, I had a £9 fish on the Moy Fishery. All on the fly, all released. The gods are looking out for me. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The trout fishing has certainly picked up the last week or so with hatches and mayfly on the Irish locks producing some great fish and it really feels as if the season is now kicking into gear, including the salmon as well, particularly on the River Moy. It's Ireland's iconic salmon river with the Ridge Bull and Ballina standing out as a special and unique place to land a salmon on the fly. And so to find out more about fishing the river and what to expect for the rest of the season, we're joined by Garrick Regrock, who is a casting instructor and fishing guide who guides in Ireland, Scotland and around the world and is also a committee member of the East Mayo Anglers Association. But Tom, before we hear from Garrick, tell me how has the Mayfly fishing been going for you on Corrib? Man, Dara, how are you? Um, so at the moment we're looking, as we're talking, it's it's approaching the, the end of it here on Corrib. Uh, it's been a really funny season. It uh, started off very well in early May uh, with some good fishing. And as always is the case, you, you, you when that happens, you expect, oh, it's going to get better. And sometimes you're through the thick of it and it is the best for it, but you don't realize it at the time because our human nature is, oh, it's going to get better. So uh, from around the middle of the May, it's kind of petered off. The hatches, and at the moment, as we're talking, the hatches have really, really got sparser and sparser. And which is unusual for this time of the year, even on Corrib, because normally I would I would experience good hatches to right to the first week in June. And I still do a lot of mayfly fishing to the first week in June, but this is strange this year. Uh, hatches are fewer and far between, and as a consequence, the fishing gets gets more difficult, particularly if the conditions aren't good for for fly fishing. So at the moment now we've. Um, switched into northerlies and cam with with sparse hatches so ah, it's tough tough at the moment now you get chances uh, as I was saying to you earlier there like we had our day yesterday but one of the other boats boat at seven so you know that that's the way it'll go so you know it's it's not it's not a complete disaster I mean that that's the way it is with this lake and only the western lakes you know you take your chances a lot of the time um, the only thing is we could do with better conditions particularly with the sparser hatches but all in all it, it was a patchy one. Um, you got oh, has it peaked? Has it peaked? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I would say so. I would say so. We're on the we're on the we're on the slippery slope downwards, as they'd say. Is Sheelan peaking? Do you think now? Have you heard about? I've heard much in Sheelan the last couple of days. Um, the other thing what I've heard is it's, and as we're talking to this about, um, we're talking to Eamon, it, it, They seem to have switched on solely onto them onto the spent now. And, and that's what seems to be happening now. You know, the, the, the green fly fishing and the, the nymph fishing, which was apparently really good this year. I know Eamon said it, but talk to other guys, it's been absolutely fantastic up there. Um, from what I can gather at the moment, it's it's they've switched mainly onto the onto the, the black knot, the spent. So I, I would imagine like there's still a bit to go in Sheelan. I haven't been talking to anybody there at the moment. Um I'm concentrating, I'm fishing the, the national on Enel this weekend. So sorry to look. Um so I haven't been any info I can get is more to do with Loch Enel than Loch Sheelan. Okay, how's Enel been fishing? Then? I, I I can't tell you. Would you switch off the recording? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's tough. I believe it's tough. From what from what I can hear, it's tough. But um, the the traditional thing I don't know if we ever said this, but years ago when the gents could come for a month, the tour would start in Loch Derg, which traditionally was the earliest. Then come to Corrib, and then for the end of it, they would switch to Sheelan. So traditionally, you could look that Sheelan was always that bit later than than Carb. So you could you could say, yeah, uh, there'll still be still be stuff going on in Sheelan. But um, with us, I think probably another week, probably see it see it finishing here. Now, look, I predicted this. I, I often tell people the first time I worked with Hardys, I were I was seven years on the road, and when I, I stopped guiding when I was on them, and I had to book holidays for the first year, which was great. I couldn't get over actually having days off and getting paid for it. It was, as somebody who was self-employed nearly all my life, it was unreal. But I took two weeks off in 2008 uh, for my Mayfly and I missed it. Yeah. So I took first to the 15th of May and uh, the Mayfly came up that year on the 13th or 14th of May. So, <laughs> so I'm telling you here now, that'll be it. And what could happen next week, we could get a turn in the weather and the next thing you could get another week of a hatch in certain places. You, you just can't, you can't tell. And you'd say turn of the weather, what are you looking for in terms of the wind? and? 
Ah, uh, just if it, um, basically anything that wasn't approaching a heat wave. Okay. Okay. Because, and in fairness, I know everybody's gone, it's beautiful the weather's here, summer's arrived, and, you know, it is great because we had such a crap spring. It's still heat wave weather for May, like. It is, yeah. It's early, like, you know, for this kind of heat wave weather, like. We have a saying in our household, I'm sorry, I'm really digressing now. Um, John Watson, he's been coming here since the 50s, right? And anybody saw, I had a post up on Facebook on my fishing page, and it's him with a lovely fish over four pounds. John is in his mid-80s now, coming here for a long time. But uh, it was weather like what we're having now is bright sunshine. And this is back in the 80s. And he had to call out to my folks' house to to, to give something to my dad. And uh, my mother looked out, hey, John, how's it going? Oh, yeah, how's things? He said, my mother said, um, the sun was splitting the rocks. And he said, um, it's a great day, great day, John. And he just went, Desperate weather, desperate weather. <laughs> right. So that became um, that became a sort of um, uh, a saying in our house that whenever there was a heat wave, we just went desperate weather, desperate weather. So yeah, only only an angler would be uh, criminal. Oh, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah. So look, if if you got a bit of cloud, if the temperature doesn't go doesn't start hitting into the twenties, and wind actually turns to west or southwest, you could come on again. But as it like, if I was to take a stab at it. I would say there's only a week left. And even looking and even looking at the weather for the next few days yeah. today, look, it's but they're talking 23 at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they Jesus, it doesn't bode well for if we're heading down. I'll be heading down. It doesn't. It does not. But um, we'll let you know next week how it got on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says bundle full of anticipation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. the nearest pub? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, there's what is it? There's uh, over 100 anglers out in it. It's uh, the um, the ITFFA National. It's been on the go since the thirties and held every year since the thirties. So um, yeah, look, see how it goes. And then actually, I just thought that um, visiting anglers are numbers still holding up. Like it's kind of yeah. the same kind of crowds, same crew that come back. Yeah, yeah, they are same crew coming back. Um, what you find here, uh, it's very you know just because you show how small community the angling community is. Uh, it, once the hatch petered off here, you'd still have the people who were booked to come and everything, but you didn't have the extras. And you see, you have, you have what should we say, the floating angler, right? And he could have heard that um, he, she, whoever could have heard that Chelan was fishing well. So suddenly you wouldn't see the lake here is crowded and you might see, like I've heard on Chelan, there's been up over two, 200 boats on it certain days. Oh. Yeah. So, and that's what happens. And word gets out, but mobile phones these days. And that's what happens. And, you know, suddenly if this place picked up again, suddenly you'd see more boats coming on again. And, and that's what it has. But, yeah, the visiting anglers have held up well, um, held up well enough. But um, uh, pubs and restaurants are still um, full of fish and talk in the evening. Speaking of difficult fishing, uh, we're going to be hearing about the Moy and the spring run from Garrett uh, now. Um, I think, I, I suppose we want to do this episode. See, it's a good time in terms of the grills run to be starting soon. So, um, you know, you do start to see the kind of numbers of fish starting to pick up. Um, and as Garrett, who guides on the river, plastic angler, he's uh, going to give us some kind of insights and, and overview of the river in this time of year. Yeah, it's interesting. And when we're talking to him there, it's funny. And he said, oh, and it seems to be happening all over the country, how how, how the, the runs have become later and later. And like, I, we see it here. I mean, like you talked about, and I'm going back to here, but we'll, and I'll stop after this. But <laughs> the party of the Tunbridge Wells guys that come here for 30 years, uh, always the same week in May. And in the 90s, I think three years on the trot, they caught grilts every week when they were here. And in so much so, I think it was always on a Thursday. So they used to call it Thursday the grill stay. <laughs> um, and we used to see more, more. So what I'm saying is, we would have a run of um, of grills here in um, in May. We don't see that at all now. It's really it's gone gone further back, uh, and there uh, it seems to be the same story all over the country. Aside from the Moy, there's some great insights from Gareth. He's a, he's a man who's fly fishing has been his life. Fishing has been his life. Um, I know you had to go early, but his his most memorable fish on the fly story was fantastic. Oh, great. 
Yeah. You should have a listen, Tom. Have a listen to the podcast. <laughs> I must listen to that podcast. Tell your friends about it. <laughs> yeah, so I did have to leave early last night. but um, And I was, only joined later, so. <laughs> well, actually, in my defense, I had to go fishing. Right? So anyway, that was it. But um, anyway, back to the Moy and Garrett. I first asked Garrett about his involvement with the East Mayo Anglers Association. I'm living here close to Foxford. And I have a very, very strong affiliation with a number of fisheries, but particularly with East Mayo. I've been fishing East Mayo for years. I'm a committee member of East Mayo. And it's just a, it's a club that's very, very close to me. It's a strong club. It's a progressive club. It's every club in the country would be a lot better if it was a bit more like it. Um, I fish the water quite a bit. I've made a lot of good friends with other committee members. It's a club I'm proud to be part of, if the truth be known. Grand. And come here, are you based up there now? Where are you based? Yep. I up sticks. I left Dublin. My wife and I, we left Dublin about five years ago. Wow. Got a nice house here on the at the base of the Ox Mountains. We're between Foxford and Ballina. And uh, getting a little bit more Western every day. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I've got to let people know in a in previous lives, uh, myself and Garrett once uh, dealt as a rep uh, to have... Uh, I, I was working with Hardy's at the time. I remember he used to have to go and meet you, but that's 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 long past now. That's yeah, that's back in me, the North County Dublin days. That's when yeah. I was in Portlock Trout Fishery. That's right, yeah. yeah. Got, we're going we're going back oof, that's 12, 14 years now. The the late Courtlock Fishery wrapped up there six, seven years ago. Great years, oh great years, Tom. I tell you. Uh, the chap who owns the facility, Bill, uh, offered me the opportunity to develop and bring it on. A lot of sweat, a lot of hardship went into it. A lot of fun years. It was great developing it from a hole in the ground to a very, very prolific fishery. Then, unfortunately, uh, we sprung a leak. <laughs> the water That's ran away right. and it just, yeah. it just wasn't viable to bring it back to uh, the fishery as it was. But they were great years. It was great. Very formative years. I learned a lot in that. I learned a lot about fishery management, dealing with anglers. Oh, I learned, I learned an awful lot. Not all that I can repeat here on that too. Ah, yeah, we, we wouldn't worry about that. But no, it was a great spot and I used to love calling into you. So you've upstick and now you're on the, you're more or less, the Moy is your local water, yeah? Yeah, well, everything around Mayo, you know, uh, the Moy is my local water. I was on the Moy at five o'clock this morning. Um, I'm only three miles from the river. I do a reasonable amount of guiding on the Moy. I'll also travel to the space streams, the Dion Moor, Dion Duff, Glenamoy later in the year, uh, Caramore Lake when it's when conditions are right for it. I'm more a salmon man. Like it's I'm I'm handy on trout, but I'm I'm better I'm better on the salmon. But to be honest with you, that's kind of really coming across there with all the places you, with all the places you said. You really you you you're concentrating on the salmon big time. So do you have any favorite amongst those? Would it be the Moy because it's local or rivers uh, or depends on the time of the day, depends where the fish are running, depends where, where the fish are pulling. Uh ooh, of those that I've mentioned, Shillings Pool on the own moor, when it's about 0.4 on the gauge, the space dropping off, when the midgets aren't there to eat you and the fish are running. That's to me, that's just that's just bliss. Uh I'm just back from guiding on Delphi last week. The wind pool on Delphi, you look, you just don't get much more pretty. They're on your doorstep, not far off Connemara. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a hard week last week. We'd no water. Conditions were tough, but you don't mind fishing in a place with that, with that kind of beauty. With fish in the pools in front of you. And we were seeing yeah. fish in the pools, but the crystal clear water and the bright sunlight just, just, just made it, made it hard going. But it's encouraging to see fish in the system. Actually, yeah, once you said that, would that be one of the clearest rivers you'd fish for salmon on the West Coast? Yeah, it would, because even in Delphi, the water's so clear. Visitors over the years, they've developed a technique of actually nymphing for salmon, sight right, fishing yeah, and yeah. nymphing for salmon, which would be relatively unheard of in this country. Everything is nearly always across some down, sink tips, let it swing, feed them a loop of line and pull, but sight fishing. Like one day there last week, the clouds... All blew away. Uh, the the chaps I was with said, oh, that's it. We make out the golf clubs and said, no, we're going to try something new. We brought them up to the turn pool. Uh, deep hole, could be 12, 15 foot of water. Good pair of Polaroids. And when the sun does come out, it gives you this chance to spot for them. 
and you'll see these lumps of springers sitting there in the pool. Bit of delicate casting, don't spook them. A little bit of finesse, takes a bit of technique. Just dropping it in front of them. You'll see the, fl- the flash of the white mouth opening. Unfortunately, last week it opened and closed and he just nudged <laughs> and turned away and let it pass. But we got his attention. But then other times you're watching your nymph and you might put a little colour indicator on it, a little red tag and varnish on it or something. You're looking for the white mouth. Momentarily, you see the red tag on it. The red tag vanishes, lift, boom, and then the fireworks start. It's wow, it's unorthodox, but it's it's about adaptation. Clear water, low water, you, you do what you have to do. Would that make you think, though, and I, I have heard of lads doing a bit more nymphing for salmon, but, like, I mean, you would have done it there because, naturally, you can see the fish. Would it make you think that maybe that maybe in water that it wasn't so clear, you could nymph them anyway? I first saw nymphing for salmon on the ridge pool nearly 20 years ago. Uh, wow. A Spanish chap was over and he was using something similar to our uh, pheasant, gold body pheasant tail nymph with a big gold bead head on it, but on steroids. And he was <laughs> casting across and down and fishing a blind in the ridge in low water. And he outfished the regular boys who were using their cascades and their willy guns. But when you were looking at this guy, did you know what he was doing? Like, were you aware this guy is nymphing? Or did you think, what the hell is this guy up to? I knew he was nymphing, but I thought the poor yeah. devil hadn't a clue what he's at. I thought he was fishing <laughs> for big trout. I thought he, uh, uh, Miguel, he may even be listening to this, um, <laughs> from Galicia, northern Spain. And this is how they fish their rivers back home. He, it was relatively quiet on the ridge at that time. Low water, which for us was tough. But for him, his nymphing tactics came into its own. He adapted, brought his tactics from home, and we all learned a few new tricks off him. So there's always there's always plan B, C, or D. Now it's not something I practice a lot, but it's open. But it's it's as you said, there's always something there. I was just about to start asking. But we got we kind of got sidetracked. So listen, the Moy. When do you reckon it's going to kick off? When when are you normally looking? It's the end of May now. It's coming to the end of should we say, my really busy season on carb here. Trout season sort of goes into a bit of hibernation for during June because unless a bit of the cane is fishing in the morning, but in general, for most daytime anglers, a lot of them start thinking of switching to salmon. So what do you reckon? When, you, when will you be looking at in the moy? Right, with us, we, as, as nearly everyone will know here, there's two distinct runs of fish in Ireland. We have our springers. Some systems are fortunate enough to get them early. The moy wouldn't get early, early springers. So most of the efforts for springer fishing on the moy would be April and May. Then the grills used to peak. If you weren't at the peak of the grills run by mid-June, there's something wrong. But now it's got somewhat later. The grills run isn't really peaking until mid-July, more towards the end of July. So we should be in the thick of the spring run. April is gone. May is effectively gone. And the spring run just hasn't really come to what it should be. What's it, been, what's it been like this year so far? It's been mediocre, to say the least. And every, everyone I'm speaking with, I rang around a number of fishery managers in the last few days. Uh, I met with our mutual friend, Paddy McDonald, on the Moy yesterday. Yeah. He was out with clients. We we're just chatting. And Paddy's of the opinion the run is in the region of 25 to 30% of what it was last year at this time. It's, it's a bit scary. Um, most fisheries, every fishery, every fishery is down um, on where it was last year. We don't know if they're late. The, the optimists among us are, are hoping that they're late and they're going to come in a, bu- a good big burst in the next few weeks. Others who have been watching trends over the last few years know that uh, the spring run is diminishing. Um, remains to be seen. We're hoping for a good growth run. This year, so far, the spring run has not been what it, what it should be. How have you done? Uh, okay, I'm going to book the trend on this. Uh, I've had an odd season. I've only I've only been out fishing three days this year. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I, I fished three days and I had a springer each day on the fly. Um, what? Yeah, I know it's a lot of it's a lot of ticket stuff. I was out two weeks ago. I had a nine pound springer on East Mayo. A couple of days ago, I had a twelve pound springer on the Moy fishery, and this morning I had a nine pound fish on the Moy fishery, all on the fly, all released. Uh, the gods are looking out for me. This, I put that down to the karma of putting your fish back. The fish gods give you more fish if you kill less of them. Right, yeah. Science might tell you that too. If we stop killing them and let them get to the breeding grounds, there'll be more of them to come back. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, we're not yeah. we're not going to preach into a catch. You, I'm not going to get into a preachy catch and release. But on the same note, we have to be more mindful, and we stop have to kill less of the brood stock. Those that have made it back, those that made it by the trawlers, those that those that made it by the illegal netting, those that have gone through all the odds to go to the North Atlantic and back, we have to give them the last chance. We can't scream about the super trawlers taking anything if we ourselves aren't aren't being that bit more responsible. Um, but sorry, yeah, no, um, yeah, I was very fortunate. I three landed on the fly for three trips. The hat trick. My buddy Paul Kelly put the kibosh on me. We saying, Garrett, you've two for two. Wouldn't be great if you went out today and you got another one to make your hat trick. So, Mister Kelly, if you haven't heard, a third one is for you. Oh, uh, that that is absolutely fantastic. Do you know what you should do now? You should get your rod, put it back in the sleeve, back in the tube, take the reel, and put the reel aside because it, I might it even frame them. I might even frame them and hang them on the wall. No, it's it a funny season for me, Tom. I didn't get going until late this year. Um, I had a, I had a bit of bad health. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to the team who helped me, actually. Professor Thomas Lynch, a Galway man, a fly fisherman. He fishes Ina a lot. Himself and his team uh, helped me through uh, a tough cancer diagnosis. And I just, I'm shamelessly going to uh, use your platform here, lads, because we're targeting um, men of well, all ages. Lads, just go out there. Keep an eye on your prostates. I turned 50 early this year. A very vigilant GP sent me for a full scan. And as, as a result of the full scan, they found that I, I had an aggressive prostate cancer going. Early intervention was key. As I said, my GP and uh, my surgeon, Prof Lynch, really deep, got me out of a lot of trouble. Asymptomatic. So lads, men out there, keep an eye on your prostate. It's just a regular blood scan. When you're next to your GP, just ask for a PSA scan. It may get you out of a lot of trouble. I was just fortunate, coincided with my 50th and the GP sent me for um, a full scan. Well, thanks, thanks, medical team. You've kept me out here. I'll be annoying you for a few more years and chasing more silver palace. No, no, to be honest with you, there's no problem at all about you highlighting that. That's very important. Really is important, Garrett. And actually, to be honest with you, I have my own dealings with having friends with prostate cancer. And uh, yeah, and... We have a lot of men of that of certain age listening here. So what what Garrett is saying there, uh, even though it's nothing to do with the fishing, but it's well worth highlighting because uh, we can't be vigilant enough. And listen, uh, glad to hear that uh, you're in good form and that you're uh, going to be chasing after the silver boys all the time. That's that's really good. So obviously that hindered your fishing then, yeah? It did, yeah. Um after radical surgery, wading is just not going to be happening. You know, I just had to mind myself. So um, my guiding didn't really kick off until about a month ago. My own fishing only kicked off in the last two weeks. But it gave me plenty of time to... I was out. I was on the river. Um, I was out. I was on boats. I was out doing stuff, but I just wasn't as active as I could be partaking in it. But uh, in right. touch with, with all of the boys, um, keeping keep my finger on the pulse. Yeah, no, no, no. That's well understand. But um, you're back in the swing of things and you've got out three days, right? Three days and three spring salmon. So, I mean, whew, that can't be better, really. No, no. But uh, I go for four for four next time. Yeah, you've no, got sure you go On the pool today, uh, we noticed the grills are starting to make an appearance. We'd high tide about 10 o'clock this morning and there was a marked difference after the tide there was another body of fish and that a, a pod a pod of grills came in and they're hanging around the pools no great take on them but it's it's good to see their numbers starting to build no just a matter of interest there i speak as a trout angler now how did you know the grills came in did they start showing or pitching or they were showing your springers yeah. your springers will occasionally show but springers tend to hold deeper they're a bigger right. fish they're conserving their yeah. energy they're not as showy grills are a little bit more slappy Grills, they'll pitch more, they'll show more, they'll head and tail, they'll they'll dolphin pitch. Um, and it was quite apparent, you know, it's when you're seeing your springer shown, you're just seeing the, the dorsal coming up and the adipose, the tail. You know, it's quite evident by looking at them, the gap between the fins mm -hmm. and the tail, that it's a decent lump of the fish. But the grills, to make his presence known, he has to make more of an effort and they'll, do, they'll be doing the slappy and showy and only fresh in from the sea, they're trying to shake the lice that are slapping and banging off the surface and you, you get a good look at them. Yeah, with what you're saying there, so you'll be hopeful all the same though, 
that really looking at looking at this now that hopefully you should be having a bit of grills fishing uh, sometime in June. Yeah. Over the yeah, next couple of I, I say in the next couple of days when those fish come in and they settle, uh, mm. I say the lads should be getting sports on them by the weekend. For the lower moy fisheries, conditions are looking very, very good. There were a couple of fish uh, hit on the cathedral beat today that hadn't fished up until yesterday. I think the first fish of beer was caught from the cathedral yesterday. There was another one landed today. The lower moy beats, uh, moy fishery, the ridge, the cathedral, Pulmonic, spring wells, the lower, the lower beats only come into their own in low water. It just hit the fly only mark today. So there's no wormering or spinning allowed on the ridge from now. So it's just coming perfect for fly. So just good is, to there, see is there a marker on the gauge? What level is it on the gauge for it to be fly only? Not quite gauge. It's more rudimentary than that. Right. Uh, yeah. It's stylishly rudimentary in that there's a cut stone and a line engraved across it, written above it, when the fly only. So when the water level is below the line, it's simply fly only. When the line is covered by the water, it's spin and warm. All methods except, except prawn and shrimp. That's fantastic. But as you know, there's a lot of international visitors come to the Moy. Uh, so mm. it just, it doesn't have to be too graphic. Nothing can be lost in translation. Simply if the line is, if the line is visible, it's fly only. If the line is gone, work away with legal methods. Okay, so if the water is at that level, will the grills run move up into the other waters? Or what What happens there? Now, I'm asking this because I've actually, mm. and we've discussed this on the show, before, I've yet to fish the moi, uh, but I'm a trout man through and through. So, but I, I often hear that sometimes, you know, the, the fish haven't gone up through the system. So at the moment, at the, the water height that it's at now, can they run? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's the nature of rivers. Rivers change every year. You get winter floods, you get big pushes of water. Conditions underfoot change, courses change. In the last 10 years, I had a quick chat with Paddy Bonner today in Ballina Angling Centre. And we were just talking how the ridge pool has changed so much. 10 years ago, you had to be on top of your game to be able to fish it well because the main channel was at the far side opposite to where the anglers were standing. So you really had to be punching a full line even to get to the fish. Now the flow has shifted, the flow is down the middle. So it's a lot more forgiving for your average angler, so at least everyone can get the run of it. Uh, but I digress on that. Since there was a couple of infrastructure projects built just about the ridge pool, a new pedestrian bridge went in about 10 years ago. So to That's do right. so, they had to build up coffer dams, divert the flow to put in the foundations. So as a result of it, there are deeper gouged runs uh, that have never really filled in since the construction. So even in the lowest of water, there is a big push of pressure pull water for any amount of fish to run up through. Wow. About seven, eight years ago, I know about, yeah, about 2018, I think was a very, very, very dry May. I went, the river was nearly too low for fishing and I simply went walking. It's a great way. I did it in East Mayo in particular. I'd never seen the river as low and it was a great way to identify hollows, humps, rocks, which yeah. are all going to be potential yeah. lies when there's two foot of water on that. I learned a lot. I saw holes well, some of the holes that I had walked into before not known there were holes and got a, a donking. <laughs> but uh, but you find rocks, you see hollows, you only imagine when you put two foot of water, you know what it's going to come to. Uh, but even then, there were sea-liced fish being caught up around Foxford, mainly by chaps who were prawning. Uh, but even then, in the low, still the low, the fish were still able to run. Sea-liced fish, you know, that's telling you long-tailed sea lice in them. They couldn't be in the system for any more than 36 hours. The fact that the long-tailed lice were still on them. So the fish right. can run the whole time. Yep, the pressure wow. of water is there. It changes. Pools pools change. Every year, you nearly have to go out and relearn some parts of them. Flows change. And that's that's a great part of it. You take nothing for granted. You, you There could be... a Different, different flow, different push, different hole. It's great. You just have, to, and that's why there's a bit of a learn, a bit of a living for us guides still there. Someone could come one year and they think they know the flow. They come back the next year and uh, they don't always know it all. We do, we do have to, we do, we do have our uses. That's really fantastic. I never thought of that, but it really, ma it actually makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I mean, rivers are kind of organic and always changing. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'm just thinking now here with me, the lake is always the same. But the only thing is we get, yeah, we have other things, but that that's that holds, adds a whole new dimension 
And yeah, does does mean that you're kind of wanted. But uh, Garrett, like if the rivers change and you know them, like, for example, now you, you go, you've fished abroad a lot of places. So like that can actually happen to you if you go to rivers and travel there that you've been to before and they've changed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate enough that as a fishing guide, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to travel to some very nice places with uh, clients and friends of mine, uh, particularly Iceland. You're saying rivers change and in Iceland, you can visibly see it because you're fishing crystal gin clear water. Uh, it's not as big an issue in Iceland because you can see the bottom and you can see the fish. Right. Um, it was an eye opener to me on one of the canyon pools, I think, on the on the Sela River. I was there with one of the local guys, and he was saying, "Gareth, will you will you go up and spot?" So I went up on the height, watching down. This guy's fishing a collie dog on the surface. It was uh, kind of skating it, and I said, "There's a big fish. He's about three foot beneath it. He's coming up. He's coming up." What I thought was three foot was about twenty two foot. The pools are about 22, 25 foot deep. What I thought was a grills at two foot depth was a 15 pounder at 22 foot depth. He saw this little fly, half an inch fly skating over his head and he came up and he hammered it. So when you're, when you're abroad and you're sight fishing, different, it's a little bit easier when you can see the fish and you can see the bottom and you can read it. Uh, as always, a bit of local knowledge. When I am working on systems abroad, uh, you befriend the local boys. You get out for a walk <laughs> with them. You it's simply you, you buy the local boys beard, you know, because you're there on their turf. Likewise, when there's other guys over here, you, you return the professional favor. So, yeah. So if somebody's buying you a beer and Gary's, then you know what? You'll just be, you know, that's both ah, yeah. ways. It's a bit of professional courtesy, you know, a bit of professional of course, courtesy. Yeah. And Gareth, tell us, you fished all around. Was it holidays, professional? Tell me, what was the... Uh, well, through my work as an instructor and guide, I built up a, a really nice little black book of people who employ me for my services as an instructor, as a guide, and some of them who have become good friends. So a number of them, they have got used to my services here in Ireland with them. And then as they've developed in their fishing career, they will travel to... Uh, they'll broaden the horizons and go to, to foreign locations and they like to have me along with them. So it'd be something like uh, the fishing concierge. They may have guests along on the trip with them who may be quite novice. They, they'll have their children along on the trip and they know they're in safe hands with me. You know, I'm tried and tried and trusted. Um, they know what they're getting with me. We have a good rapport. So generally, yeah, I get, I get to go to nice places, you know, uh, close to the home, um, England, Scotland, uh, I've been fortunate to get to five different systems in Iceland, seven or eight different systems in Alaska. Uh, Jewel and the Crown must have been uh, saltwater game fishing, fly saltwater game fishing in the Seychelles for a oh, last giant trevally. If you get a chance to go for GTs on the fly, these things I've experienced. I've caught a lot of fish, but uh, the first one of these I hooked, he took 350 yards of backing, gone. This is a 12, this is a 12 weight. Single-handed, nine foot, twelve weight, single-handed rod, a hardy fortuna reel, with the clutch closed. You cannot take line off this. These things hit it, and it's like tying your fly to the back of a Range Rover, Range Rover flooring it, and you're just now you're not <laughs> going to stop till he wants to stop. I was just there, gobsmack, looking at him, and the, the local guy was saying, uh, uh, "You're going to stop that thing. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be in Somalia if you don't stop this thing." What kind of size? What kind of size is it, Gary? You're talking. I, this is my lucky streak again, Dara. The first GT that I ever saw, and that I cast it to, was a specimen GT of 115 centimeters. Uh, came in around, didn't weigh him, but by the charts, it's probably around 75, 80 pound weight. And they're just pure muscle, pure anger, pure speed. The old, the ultimate game fish. These, these, these boys are angry. These things, these things are great. These that's. Are they the pinnacle? Like you'd say, like if you want to experience fight on the fly, st pure strength, like brute strength. For fly fishing that we know, you know, you can go after the, the, the marlin or the sailfish, but you're really only crawling behind the boat with teasers and drawing them in. But this is yeah. where you're on a skiff, you're with your polarized, you're sight fishing these, you see them coming, the guide will call, 
GT, 12 o'clock, 150 metres, coming your way. Watch tier 11, watch tier 11. You'll call it, you'll see it. You read the speed, pop it out in front of him. Strip, strip, strip. Try to get his attention. Then if he turns, you cannot strike these things hard enough. We're talking about a strip strike. We're putting yeah. welly into it. You're doing everything. They've melted on them like porcelain. And then when they finally realise they're hooked, boom. Ultimate. You asking me, are they the ultimate? Guys, any of you out there on the podcast listening now, you're not seeing me. I'm bouncing here in the seat. I'm animated <laughs> yeah. as hell. These things, these get you going. If you if you any any of you get the opportunity, GTs, and it's not just GTs out there, just everything. There's blue trevallis, uh, wahoo, barracudas, bonefish averaging five, six pound weight, and no problem to catch 10, 15 of those bones a day. Permit, there's Everything, everything, everything has to challenge. This is all Seychelles card, is it? This was, uh, yeah, a couple of atolls off the Seychelles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine, Peter Rippon, uh, he's been overfishing here with us in Ireland a number of times. He's, he he sets it up. It's, it's bucket list stuff, lads. It's bucket list. But if you're going to treat yourself, that's, that's something to be looking at. Can I just add in now for those of you, because it still is only audio, Garrett actually has stopped bouncing now. And <laughs> he's just come down. He actually genuinely has stopped bouncing. He was bouncing. He, de- he was. He was really bouncing. <laughs> Reliving the fight. Now. I'm down. Reliving I'm back. I'm fight. down. I'm down. <laughs> I was even double hauling here, everyone. <laughs> you were casting. You were, you actually, and you actually did strip strike as well. <laughs> Ah, uh, deadly. Well it, well, it was strip striking for a GT. <laughs> of like... course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, t- Alaska, that's on my bucket list, Garrett. Um, oh, there, was, that's uh, there was a couple of lads, actually, when I was fishing with them before, and um, German lads, and they f- they do it every year. They fly in from Frankfurt into Anchorage. And there's even on Facebook, I believe, there's a whole f- German fly fishing community that go to um, Alaska. <laughs> Fly fishing and they get they get flown up river, however far, and they raft for two weeks back downstream, uh-huh. and they stop when they want to, you know, um, get food when they want to tent up, and they just do this for two weeks at their own leisure. It sounded incredible. Um, it did you is, yeah, mm-hmm. that wilderness like. Uh, what you're describing there is a wilderness float trip, and. There's a couple of guys, they work out Bristol Bay area is great for that. Uh, generally, what you'd do, you'd go in, you'd meet your outfitter, set up at your, depends how many of you are going. So if there's 60, you'd be needing three rafts, three men to a raft, and then one for the gear. Planning prep is everything on this, because invariably what they'll do, they'll drop you out to the headwaters. We did something this on the northern fork of the Good News River in Bristol Bay. We also did something similar to it in the Wood River in uh, Tikchik. Uh, really, planning is everything. You, he'll drop you in. You, you inflate the rafts. He'll give you a, a geo coordinate where he'll meet you in seven days' time, ten days' time, where whatever, and it's up to you to be there. Yeah. You'll have a satellite phone which only has limited battery. That's your get out of jail. It's wise to pack a, a Magnum forty four or something. No one wants to shoot a bear. No one wants, but no one really wants to be eaten by a bear either. Uh, we've never had any issues with bears. You let them hear that you hear that you're exactly, coming. Yeah. They're great. You see them. Like, they're a novelty. They are a great novelty. But you, bear in mind, they're about 10 times bigger and heavier than we are. You give them the right away. You keep out of their way. Uh, but as you're saying, slow trips are amazing. And as you come down through the rivers, you meet all the different species. You know, primarily on most of your Alaskan rivers, some will have steelhead. Nearly all of them will have different strains of salmon. Depending on the time of the year, early in the year, you'll have your kings, uh, then you'll have your sockeyes and your chums. Every second year, you'll have your pinks. And then at the end of the year, you have your silvers. Your silvers would be the one that would be most similar to our own Atlantic salmon. Very, very similar in style, shape, fish for them the same way. Uh, but as you're working your way down through the river systems, you're going to meet everything. You may steelheads, dolly vardens, rainbows, chars. Uh, the closer you come to the estuary, the more likely you'll be hitting the fresh salmon and the sea runs. Do it, Darth. Do it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's you another can, bucket list car. <laughs> you know, it's what you're speaking about, the wilderness trip. That's really where you need to go. Unfortunately, everywhere is becoming a victim of its own success and its own popularity. What we're doing now, broadcasting it, making everyone aware of it. 
and in the best of ways, because everyone should have the opportunity to enjoy it. But places that were off the beaten track are not so quite off the beaten track. Like yeah, they're the, getting harder to find, aren't they? Unless you've got a lot of money, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, one of the main systems in Alaska um, would be the Kenai River, which is only mm. two hours drive from Anchorage. Still fantastic fishing, but this is where you see those iconic pictures of twenty lads shoulder to shoulder combat fishing when the sockeyes yeah. are running. Like, dear, could you be bothered? Like, you know, it's, you wouldn't it's, want to fly halfway around the world, you know, and no. experience that. Like, not for me. Like, but then, can we tell me you've also you've fished in Scotland? Talk to me a bit about the Scottish salmon fishing because it's it kind of doom and gloom, a bit like Ireland in the sense of runs are gone. It's, get, it's getting hard. Uh, it's it's getting hard. Like, uh, following social media in the last week or two, uh, they said the spring run to Spay has effectively collapsed. Uh, although I just got good news, um, good buddy of ours, um, Jim Wilson, had a nice fish on the junction pool on the Tweed today, uh, kind of booking the trend of Scottish salmon. Uh, it, it's hard. It, it's hard. I did a nice trip at the end of season last year with a buddy of mine, Paul Kelly. We went to the Fintorn uh, up in Inverness here. Uh, first two days, nothing. The last day we were there was the last day of the season. Overnight, the river came up four foot. We were there on the day that everyone says you should have been there when you weren't there. And we finished out our season with a bowl of fish and a lot of them were fresh. Um, it just, just came up on the last flood. Uh, I was fishing on the D last year, uh, Royal D Park on D, one of the prime beats. We had a number of days on it. Prime time around this time of year for Springers. We fished it hard to chap I was with an excellent angler. We never saw a tail for for the three or four days where there it was. Yeah, it, ma- it makes us wonder. It makes us wonder there there is some there is something awful afoot. I'm not a scientist. I'm a guide. I'm an instructor. I'm a man on the ground. But it, there's something awfully wrong. As I said, I speak with Paddy McDonnell yesterday. Mm. Uh, Paddy's of the opinion of this year, uh, the run is reduced to about twenty five or thirty percent of what it was this time last year. That's a trend that's that has been uh, reproducing itself, unfortunately, for far too many years. It's in steady decline, steady decline, steady decline. And I haven't seen a blip upwards. One year, one year, 2020, when yeah, COVID, everything was shut COVID. down for COVID. Yeah. Uh, I'd only re- I'd moved to Mayo a couple of years beforehand. Unfortunately, the Ridge Pool was within my 15 kilometer limit of travel at the time. Uh, we had we had great sport. I was going to say, was, what was that like, like to be able to fish still, it? It was like turning the clock back 30 years. Uh, like we were experimenting. I was catching them on the riffling hitch in the ridge yes. pool, skating, skating, skating tubes. They have a rule there. Once you land five fish, you have to, you have to step out. Even if all five are returned, I was seeing fish boiling and I was pulling it away from them. So you, so you wouldn't, so you wouldn't be catching your, your limit. I'm not into my COVID conspiracy theories, but there was something very, very, very different that year. I've been speaking with a, a, a lot of fishery managers and professionals in the last week, just getting their opinion on seeing where, how their fisheries are going for them. And most are down. Uh, speaking with Dave McAvoy in Delphi, their numbers are relatively constant to last year. They're two fish down from where they were this time last year. That's 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 very good. Uh, Doesn't that raise the whole hatchery debate then, isn't it, Garrett? Like, absolutely. And yeah, that's a I, whole other can of worms. I, I, and I'm actually, we're going to do a podcast on it later in the summer. Um, because in fairness, I've had people contact us, say, well, you know, there's another side to the hatchery. You know, like, I, I don't know enough of the science behind it. And that's why I do want to discuss it later on in the year. But from what I can see is if the fish ain't coming in, or, you know, you wanted, basically when we, we covered the cara, uh, with, yeah. um, with Mike. Uh, Mike O'Shea <laughs> and you know his take on it as well if you do it when it's too late well then it's kind of no good but if you can do it to help along you know with the existing kind of stock it's contentious the scientists yeah. don't like it uh, but sometimes people in life have to do what they don't like if, if we have a chance now to retain the genetic strains of every river in the country we can save a lot, help save a lot of these systems before it goes beyond a critical mass uh, I think people have to start considering options along that way. It's not coincidental that Delphi, one of the prime 
hatchery-based systems. I was over there last week with uh, a group of friends and clients helping them. Conditions were tough, like it was bright sunlight, low water, but we were seeing fish in pools. Uh, Finlock that the fish run into, there were fish bouncing around it. It was, we didn't catch anything, uh, but we stirred a few, we bounced a few, but at least we knew there were fish there, there were fish in the system. One of the river systems I'm going to Iceland this year, uh, it's my first time going to it, it's the East Ranga. It was a dead river. It was a volcanic eruption in the area in the 60s. It was a great river for salmon. Uh, but now there will permanently be a layer of fine silt on the bottom of the river. So there's no gravel for the for the spawn and the eggs yeah. to hold. So they have developed a hatchery system on it. And two years ago, um, it returned the highest catch rate of all rivers in Iceland. To the extent the, the chap who owns the fishing on it, Peter, a friend of mine, he said it was embarrassed. He was embarrassed that the catch rates were actually so high. Uh, it was said people aren't supposed to be catching this amount of salmon in a day. And the beauty of it is the, the guy, the, you can retain your fish from right. the hatchery system. So for those who do like eating wild salmon, yeah, we all love eating wild salmon. I love eating wild salmon, but uh, I've been fortunate enough to catch three this year. Um, and my conscience, I, I, I can't kill them. They, they've all gone back. I had a nice 12-pound hen two days ago, and I just looked at her and I saw 20,000 eggs um, rather than 12 steaks in my freezer, 20,000 eggs, hopefully on, on the spawning reds next year. It's, it's, we can all sit back and moan and groan about all oh, the super trawlers are taking all the salmon. But if the few that do get by the super trawlers or whatever people like to blame, if we're taking the last of the broodstock and pulling them out, like we, we are equally responsible for their demise. I'm not saying people don't have to go fully catch and release. People, if it's in an area that's sustainable. Yes, people may retain a fish, but the mentality of killing every fish has has to be gone away from. The moi, unfortunately, suffers from that. Yeah, tell me why is that? Is it because it's still a, kind of like a lot of local clubs, local angers that they've always done it, so that therefore why should they change? Oh, it's not not just locals, but you know, I I've met chaps down there who, and through conversation, um, they might have been fishing there last. September, well, before the embargo on Russia came, they'd be fishing to Karklova, they'd be fishing to Panoi, paying 20,000 euro a week to fish there, not permitted to kill a fish and happily pay 20,000 and put everything back. But then they'll come over here to the Moy, want to give out about paying 50 euro for a day ticket and wanting to tap everything on the head. Um, it's just because it's been permissible here for so long. It's been acceptable here for so long. But maybe because the Moy always had a huge surplus yeah, but that surplus is greatly diminished now. The mindset has to change as quickly as the numbers are diminishing, or else we're gonna we're gonna have, have ourselves in trouble a lot quicker than than we desire it to be. Great. Talk to me then, Gert, just about um, the rest of the season. If we see any upswing or any hope in terms of kind of the grills run, when do you start to see the real numbers kind of pick up in terms of fish being caught? Like, is it the next few weeks? We still have more pods of springers yet to come in that'll run with the early running grunts. We're keeping our fingers crossed. But the numbers of springers caught thus far on the moist system are are very disappointing. And more than disappointing, they're worrying. And do you get, because um, I know in the Blackwater ride fish, they get like June fish, which are kind of the late springers. or Yeah. Do you get something like that? We do. Up this way, uh, they have a name in them. They call them the Blackbacks. What are uh, the black? The blackbacks. Yeah, I don't know okay. if it's a mayo thing or a moi thing, but they're a fish that they generally average into. I don't know if the same strain you down with you. They'd average generally be five, six, seven pound fish, where your main multi, your early springers would be kind of your your nine, tens, elevens. Then up here we get a, a strain of uh, blackbacks, kind of five, six pounders. Then the very early grills here on the moi can be very small. They can be two pounders. And then as we go into July day, we tend to get the beefier lads to four, four and the odd five pound. The days of the five pound grills, six pound grills, sir, they're gone. You know, good grills now is, is four. That's just, we had a reasonably good, we had a fairly steady solid grill steer last year on the Moy. And that's why we thought our spring run would be good this year. Because as you know, the extra year cycle, last year's grills should be the same run as small should effectively be this year's springers. Something has happened. We we don't know if something happened 
well, come here. It's not just a moy. It's it's everywhere. No, it's true. It's everywhere. It's very true. And are you, so is July the thick of it then for the moy? Yeah. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, the peak of the grill swan run was always what they call St. John's Day, the 23rd of June down here, bonfire night. Like they're, they're saying when the bonfires are burning, the grills are at their peak. Uh, it's shifted now. It's probably about 15th to the 20th of July now is when it seems to, when it seems to peak. I don't know, just trends. Possibly they're saying because the fish have to travel further north, chasing their food stuff when they're at sea, takes them longer to get there, longer to get back. They've changed their, their programming, their timing. But just the fact of the matter with us, yeah, mid, mid July is prime time. August is a little bit of a dog month and it's autumn run is just not, gone. just not, just, it's gone. Yeah. I was trying to find a polite word. I was trying to find a, something comforting. No, but it's gone. Yeah. We're just hoping for a few late grills, more, more so than anything. You're involved with the East Mayo anglers as well. Yeah. Um, great strong and club. I suppose you mentioned uh, the Ridge Pool and obviously that's the iconic, you know, people that, even yeah, because that's where Ireland. we are at the moment. It's low water. We, East yeah. Mayo, it's, the water is just a little bit too low for East Mayo for the last two weeks. For fly on East Mayo, the gauge at Ballylatton Bridge, I prefer it once it's between 0.6 and 0.9 on the gauge. For the last couple of weeks, it's knocking around 0.4. It's just, it's just, a, little, just a little bit low. Uh, we've nine miles of water on East Mayo. Uh, 94 named pools. Most of them... You could fly fish, three quarters of them. Unfortunately, in the 60s, a lot of the River Moy was arterially drained. It left some stretches of it, uh, canal-like. But the club um, withdrew um, Central Fisheries Board at the time and the OPW. They converted a lot of the stagnant water back to good fly fishing streams by putting in uh, croys and groins that made good, good fly water. So now we have a designated stretch of two miles that is strictly fly only. It's, it's, it's good water. Uh, but I like anything, you know, you need a, a bit of a push on it for it to work the flies effectively. Uh, but East Mayo, to their credit, very strong club. Uh, two full-time professional water keepers, uh, professional administrator, uh, Kathleen. She keeps, the, she keeps it running like clockwork. Very strong committee, conservation-based youth programs catch and release competitions, um, Swinford 250 Cup. It's, it's, it's strong. It's great. To, it's great, great to see a club actually giving back and being proactive. You know, if, if, if we, if every other club in the country was as strong, we'd, we'd be in a better place. Um, do you get a lot of visiting anglers come to the East Mayo waters? Yeah, on East Mayo, we do. We get a good number of visiting anglers. Uh, it's very popular with French and Germans. In particular, we would very, very strong link with, with French and German anglers. Uh, French anglers, they normally start around mid-May, generally to coincide with the, the peak of the spring run. Uh, good good to have a bit of international flair around. Mm. Uh, a lot of French people have settled in the area. Um, fishing brought them to the area and they ended up uh, coming here and make, making livings out of it, making their living Uh good number of Germans met a couple of nice German guys today um, we're doing a lot of talking the fishing's tough at the minute so we're doing a, a lot of international relations the re- I always get and, and again I haven't fished the ridge pool um, but I get that sense of that there's the real camaraderie that kind of you know people on the fishing there people watching you know you're in you're out <laughs> you're watching people land and fish it's it's a totally different kind of atmosphere to kind of maybe what people are normally used to in terms of you know fly fishing the river like yeah, it, it, it's a strange one. It's it's a love-hate thing. You'll either love it or hate it. Mm. I, I brought people there and some say, oh, it is great, the camaraderie. Others are saying, oh, it's a bit like being in a fishbowl. Everyone's watching what you do. It depends if you're introverted, if you're extroverted, mm. if you like mixing and mingling, if you're confident, if you're casting well and it's all going well, it's a great place to be. If you're yeah, not if you're casting catching. too well and you're getting wrapped around your neck yeah, and yeah. everything's going, you're having a bad day, there's nowhere to hide. But the beauty <laughs> of it is you're at the head of the, you're the last t- part of the tidal. You know, generally the fish will run on the tide. It, stop, it stops becoming brackish. It just it comes pure fresh water. You tend to hold there for that little bit to orientate and it just gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to, to fish for them. As you know, it's one of the iconics. You know, it's like your, your Careysville, your Galway Weird, Ridge Pool, you know, your Junction Beat on the Tweed. It's, it's one of the big iconics and it's nearly always 
Irish fly fishers, it's nearly always a, a badge of honour or a yes, coming yes. of age to get to, yes. to fish it and then to catch your fish on it and then into Doherty's bar and bully for your pint afterwards and trading trading stories. It, you know, that's part and part of, of, of the whole fishing experience. You know, it's not just catching. And even now, it's, it's just meeting new friends, making new contacts. It's it's a big, big part of it. If it's all about catching fish, we're, we we're need to find game. a new hobby. If you were forced, you had only one part of the moi to fish. Where would it be? East Mayo. Ridgepool is great, but it's uh, 500 metres of one big long stretch. East Mayo, you have nine miles of water. As I said, 94 named pools. All fish differently at different heights of water. All have their distinct lies, distinct runs. Uh, five people out. I can choose. I'm fortunate enough. I live three miles away from the River Moy. I can choose when I want to go out, when conditions are opportune. I have a client. He's coming over. Boom, his dates are set. If it's absolutely low water, I know the low water pools I can bring him to. If it's a stinking, well, not quite a stinking flood. If it's a stinking flood, we'll be off to the Spate Rivers. Um, but on high water, on at least, you know, you have something at every height of water. You have something for every condition. If someone, they're not a fly man, if they're, uh, they prefer spinning or they prefer warming, ample water for that too. So that's why it works for groups. That's why the French groups come over. Maybe a group of five, Two or three of them might be fly fishers, other might be a spinner, other might be a warmer. They can all go to one fishery, they can stay together as a group. Uh, also, we don't all start in the fly. You know, the, the fact people can worm or spin, it's it's a great opportunity for youngsters to start out on it. Uh, every year we run a at least one, sometimes two, youth developing days. Uh, committee members, dedicated members, instructors, guides. We all come together, free day for members' children and any children in the locality. We'll do casting instruction. We'll do ecology. IFI will come up. They'll do kick samples. We'll run a barbecue for the day. Everything we can to get more youngsters onto the bank. You know, there, there's not enough coming in. Really not enough coming in. Fishing, fly fishing has just dominated your life. The passion that you have for it, I can see it. It's It, it, mean, it, it means everything in your life, isn't it? Like it's a, oh, just I mean... I'm driven by it. I'm absolutely driven yeah. by it. I gave up a professional career. I was, uh, at one stage, I was a, a quantity severe. And okay. even while I was a quantity, before I was a quantity severe, I was a fly fisherman. I spent my summers, as soon as I could ride a bike, my cousin, Jason, the fish Richardson, was three years older than me, so he was deemed to be the responsible one. So we'd cycle four miles from Balbriggan down to the Delvin River that divides Dublin and, and Mead, and we would spend 11 hours there a day, six days a week. Uh, we wouldn't be there on Sundays because Mammy stated we had to be home to go to Mass on Sunday and to have a family dinner and to let people see that she did have a son and well, he wasn't <laughs> shipped away. So, yeah, we, we we got very much involved with a very another very strong club, Gormison and District Anglers Club. Uh, we developed from the river that moved on. We Wavan pipe makers, they had a 27-acre lake that they had dug out and was you were initially using as a coolant sip, pro, provision of water for cooling their manufacturing system. Technology developed, they didn't need it to be water cooled and they donated it to the club. So from an early age, I was involved with committees and development. And then the natural progression was, uh, I said, I'm going to go off and become qualified as a fly casting instructor and guide. I did that just for my own. I wanted to, just because I loved it. And I was working at that all the way through, even as I was a quantity severe. And then in 2007, 2008, the, the world ended construction-wise, recession-wise. And the option was either to go to Dubai or go to London or go to Hong Kong in construction. And my great wife, Erica, says, Garrett, you're great at what you do. Uh, give it three years. If you can make it work, go for it. I'll back you. And... Um, yeah, the start of uh, developing Courtlock Fishery with Bill brought it on to to where it had a untimely end and unfortunate leak, and uh, that was the end of the fishery. Uh, Erica is self employed. I'm self employed, so we we came west. It was a bit of a joke. I asked her would she move west with me. She said, uh, "You might as well move west. That's uh, where you're spending all your time." So <laughs> she she came with me. We found a lovely house. We're here in the Ox Mountains, three miles from the Moy. It's it's in me. I just I love it. Um, I'll just take it back a little bit. Um, what happened to Court Lock? Ah, oh, sprung a leak. 
it was a man-made lake and uh it just as it was built there was a layer of gravel towards the bottom of it water started wicking underneath and started wicking underneath and then it sprung a leak and all the water ran out uh the owner of the property and myself we sat down we had a chat uh by the time it all be brought back up crowd fisheries like that are not money makers they are if they wipe their face that's about it it's a it's a passion of labor but when a passion of labor is going to cost a ball of money to get it back it just back to breaking even it just wasn't going to be financially viable so uh that it was court law trout fishery rip at that stage but in many ways, it was the, obviously the spur then to make you go west, you know. Oh, yeah, that really was. You know, like, you know, uh, I was gutted. I came in one morning. I came in on a Monday morning and I had two students that were coming in doing a week's work with me, transition, a week's work placement in transition year. And I just looked at them and they said, what do you want us to do? And I said, uh, find me four acres of water. Like it was just gone. I just came in and it was just a, a hole, a hole in the ground, a hole in the ground. <laughs> it was just... I can half laugh about it now, but at the time, it's something that you'd put five, six years of your life into. You'd brought, and it was a really, really good fishery. It was really good. Um, it was just at the point where it was starting to make a few quid, uh, but it just wasn't meant to be. But as I said, looking at it, uh, it just gave me the spur. Went west, and think things that we went west for the best. The change for the better. Garrett, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I love talking to people like, yourself who are so passionate and driven and enthusiastic and live the life you know and, and that's what i love when i come across people like this you know guides instructors people like tom and other people on the on the rivers and lakes around ireland who just are driven by it have a need for it and, and make a life out of it and do you know what everybody that i talk to is they're so happy with the life that they have chosen to lead which i think is a testament to um, the bravery and you know I think so so many of us would love to have <laughs> to have been able to do it as well but our last question for you Gareth as we ask uh, all our guests every week is and you have plenty of stories and plenty of experiences what was your most memorable fish on the fly I have two okay <laughs> one that I've already told you about that big yes. Audi A6 Range Rover giant Travali <laughs> kind of thing but you don't forget those but the other one is back to eight-year-old Gareth uh, in a competition with Gormanson and District Anglers. I was eight, very new to fly fishing. And there was, 40 years ago, there was a club, com- an inter-club competition on Loch Sheelan. All the clubs in Dublin and East Leinster would all converge on Sheelan for, for one day. And the two highest scores out of each club would go to fish the Leinsters. And I was brought along because I wouldn't have it any other way. I had to, I had to go. So I was plonked in the middle seat, two experienced anglers either side of me. And July day, not a puff of wind, bright sunlight, be calmed, nothing happening. These are pre-buzzer fishing. Like normally you'd go buzzers and down, but it wasn't the case then. You were pulling wets or you were throwing ugly dries. Uh, competition was to fish at six, to finish at six and up to half five, two boys in the boat with me, nothing. The boys were half asleep. I was effectively practicing my casting with a big old <laughs> danky diawak glass rod kind of thing. Uh, I had a sedge pattern on because the lad said to me around that time of year there could be sedge. True enough, there was a natural sedge 15 yards in front of me and I was aiming, practicing. I was hitting this thing for about half an hour that we were so becalmed, there was distance wasn't even moving. Next thing, the natural sedge that I was aiming at wasn't there anymore and there was a dimple. And I, I was, even though I was eight, I realized that they don't disappear. It was sucked down. So one opportunity aimed that I'd been aiming at for the last half hour, landed on the water, four and a quarter pound of brown trout came up and took it. And the eight year old weighed the fish in and won the competition. I don't believe so that it, it does not get much more memorable than that. I wasn't allowed to go to the Lancers because there was a clause in it to fish the Lancers. There was an age limit on it. But my proudest moment, uh, I think I might, I think the boys were going in for a few. They were the days they, they traveled by minibuses and there'd be pints and everything on the way back. I was sick on Sidona by, by the time I got <laughs> home that night. But that, that was the eight-year-old Gareth memorable fish. That You don't have a picture of it by any chance, do you? No, no, nothing, I'd nothing, nothing, nothing. But it's, it's emblazoned in here. I'll never forget it. 
I'll never forget it. You, you couldn't write it. You couldn't. It just... Well, th- there was no hope for you after that. Like it was. A... Nope. But the, the, the eight-year-old to come in, the, 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 when we got to the way in, I know they were looking at me and they're saying, ah, they got the young lad to carry yeah. John McNally's fish. And I said, what'd you get him on, Macker? He got it. <laughs> it was just class. It was, it was oh. super. Oh, geez, that's actually, that's pretty sorry. We haven't heard one like that now. Well done. Gareth, thank you very much uh, for your time. Um, and I know you were speaking to Tom earlier. And thank you for uh, for keeping me up to date in terms of kind of your stories insights into the moy i i think it's been absolutely brilliant it's been so many of your experience that you know can tell us tell it as it is you know um but if you still love the sport keep going out fishing and um we'll see how the rest of the season turns out tight lines for the rest of the season for yourself gareth thank you enjoyed your chat lads all right thanks to gareth rigrock for joining us on the show and don't forget to rate review and follow the ireland on the fly podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast from Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.